Welcome back to the Der Show. For years, uh, the Democratic Party, which I generally vote for, has gotten away with nominating and even electing some pretty bad anti-Semites and bigots. I guess the leading anti-Semite in the House of Representatives today is a Democrat, uh, Ilan Omer, uh, who has made you know terrible statements about Jews that the only reason people vote for Israel is because of the Benjamins, baby, that, you know, the Jews circulate cash. And she's made statements that go well beyond um, anti-Zionism to anti-Semitism. Uh, Bernie Sanders, who I could never vote for. I don't care who he's running against. Bernie Sanders went to England to support an overt anti-Semite, an almost admitted anti-Semite named Jeremy Corbyn who was running for prime minister on the Labour Party. Of course, he lost overwhelmingly because uh, the British people had the common sense not to elect an anti-Semite socialist. Um, I don't mind the socialism. It's the anti-Semitism and the bigotry of Jeremy Corbyn. But we're not talking about Jeremy Corbyn. We're talking about Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders goes over there to, to, to support him. Imagine if some American politician went over to uh, Europe and, and, and supported, uh, you know, somebody who is a Klan or a racist or a Nazi. It would be unforgivable. And I would hope that both parties would, would, would express bipartisan opposition to that. Well, now the shoe is on the other foot. Republicans in Pennsylvania made the serious, serious mistake. It's going to cost them the election. But it made the serious mistake of nominating uh, Doug Mastriano to be the Republican nominee for for governor. He's running against um, uh, a Democrat named uh, Shapiro, who's Jewish. That becomes important in what we're going to be talking about. Um, um, But let's talk about Mastriano first. Uh, He believes in, quote, Christian power and doesn't believe in the separation of church and state. The way I understand that is he believes that America is a Christian country and um, we just tolerate non, non-Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, uh, everybody else, but we're, we're a Christian country. Um, it's probably not read the Constitution that says no religious test shall ever be required for holding office in the United States. There was a time, of course, in England and uh, even early the United States when you had to swear an oath to Christianity. By the way, it was never to Christianity. It was always to Protestant Christianity. Uh, Catholics also couldn't uh, run for office and were treated as second-class citizens. Real Americans were Protestants, white Protestant Americans. Um, those were uh, the essence of what America is about. Mastriani seems to go back to those days. We're a Christian country. I want Christian power, etc. All right. That's somewhat political. You can argue about that. I, I don't think there's much of an argument in favor of that. In an America whose constitution demands separation of church and state, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion and no test, religious test shall ever be required. Those are the only mentions of religion in the constitution, free exercise. Obviously, everybody must have free exercise of, of religion. That doesn't mean establishing Christianity as the official religion of the country or demanding Christian Christian power. Um, but he's gone much further than that. Um, as I mentioned, Shapiro is a Jewish and his kids go to yeshiva. His kids go to Jewish day school, as many um, Jewish kids uh, go to Jewish day school, as many Catholic kids go to 
Catholic uh, day school. I live down the block from uh, one of the largest Catholic schools in the country. And it's for me a pleasure to watch these uh, wonderful young people uh, going into their Catholic school. They get excellent secular education and they learn their faith. I went to yeshiva. I didn't get such a great education, but, um, you know, I learned geography and physics and uh, got myself into college. But I also learned Talmud and Torah. And uh, it, it certainly made me a better lawyer to to have a good a good Jewish education. But, you know, you can choose to go to a public school. You can choose to go to a private school. You can choose to go to a religious school. But um Mastriani um, uh, condemned him for that. He calls it a privileged, exclusive, elite school. By the way, a lot of the people who go to yeshivas, uh, day schools are not at all privileged or, or elite. They're poor. Uh, these schools have scholarships, and some of them have relatively low tuition. The same is true of, of, of Catholic schools. Um, but but uh, Mastriano tells his audiences that uh, Mr. Shapiro shows us quote, his disdain for people like us. What does that mean? Protestants? What does it mean, people like us? I don't know. Um, his kids go to the, to the Jewish day school, but Mr. Mastrani's language in portraying it as a least reserve at least seemed to the reporters in the New York Times, and I quote them, uh, to be a dog whistle. Now, I'm not a big supporter of the New York Times. You know that. Uh, and even this article appears as a news article, and it's filled with opinion. It's opinions I share, but uh, opinions that should not be on the on the front page of, of newspapers. But it gets much worse. Um, Mr. Mastriano's uh, campaign uh, took gave $5,000 of campaign funds to the far-right social media platform Gab. Remember what Gab is? Gab is the platform where, do you remember the man who was accused uh, of, of killing, um, I don't know, a dozen or so Jews at prayer in, in Pennsylvania, um, he posted um, um, anti-Semitic material on, on Gab. And, and, and when, when Mastriano was accused of being too close to Gab and to the uh, director of Gab, this is what the director said. Um, his name is Andrew Turba. He defended Mr. Mastriano and declared that, quote, we're not bending the knee to the 2% anymore. Who do you think he's referring to as 2%? Who has 2% of the American population? It's not African-Americans. It's not Catholics. It's Jews. We're the 2%. Um, not the 2% in terms of like the 1% wealth. There are a lot of very poor Jews. There are a lot of very wealthy Jews. Um, uh, Jews uh, have... Uh, made it, many of them, the American dream, many of them have not. But we're not bending to the 2% anymore. That's not even a dog whistle. Uh, that's overt anti-Semitism. We will not be replaced. That's the same thing. We will not be replaced. We will not bend our knee to the 2% anymore. By the way, the people who condemn Mastriano, we're not all Jews. In fact, there are some Jews who are going to still vote for him. A lot of uh, very Orthodox Jews, Haredi Jews, um, are Republicans, and they will probably vote for Mastriano, although they've, they've expressed some concern about his uh, points of view re regarding that. But the Republican Party, bipartisan, bipartisan condemnation of some of these of statements. Why did the Republicans nominate 
this guy. Well, first of all, let's understand that some Democrats played a role in that. There were some Democrats who were pushing the Republicans to nominate Mastriano because they knew he'd be a very weak candidate. And he's turned out to be a very weak candidate. But you never know, because bigots poll much less than the voters. There are a lot of people who would never admit publicly that they voted for a bigot like Mastriano. But when it comes to putting the the ballot uh, and the name on the ballot, they will look around, make sure nobody's looking and vote for Mastriano. So historically, bigots have done better than the polls have suggested they would do. So, you know, the race is not is not over, but I think the Republicans would have had a much, much better chance of winning the election for governor. And gubernatorial elections are very important, particularly with a presidential election uh, coming up. Uh, the Supreme Court today wrote some um, a decision involving whether or not you know, legislatures uh, really determine uh, how the conditions of voting are, whether they can really be overruled by courts or, or the executive. But in any event, the executive plays a very significant role, as we can remember from Bush versus Gore, where Bush's brother was the governor um, uh, at the time of Florida, where the election was determined by some five or six hundred votes, and in my view, stolen, stolen from Al Gore. Uh, by the butterfly ballot in in Palm Beach, which led many Jewish voters uh, to vote for Pat Buchanan, who was the last person in the world any Jew would vote for. He was essentially a Holocaust denier. And um, uh, yes, they voted for him because the hole was in the wrong spot. And they thought they were casting a separate vote for Joe Lieberman, the first Jew ever to run for uh, uh, high office, uh, vice president, that high office. So, um, but the governor played an important role and governors play an important role. And, you know, I hope that um, uh, Mastriano loses for two reasons. One, I'm a Democrat, but I would vote against Ilan O'Mara and I'd vote against Bernie Sanders. So I'm not a Democrat uh, who is unprincipled. I will not vote for somebody who uh, is, is a bigot. So I'm asking Republicans out there and I'm curious what your letters will, will show today or tomorrow, do you pass the test? Are you willing to say, no, we're, we're just not going to vote for a, a Republican who's an anti-Semite or a bigot or a white supremacist or a Christian supremacist? No, uh, principle comes before politics. Or are you going to just say, only the Democrats are bound by principle and continue to condemn the Democrats for their support of Ilana Merrill at the same time you yourself are supporting a bigot on the right. This is a good test of principle. This is a good test of whether partisanship trumps uh, a principle. Be interested in hearing from more leaders of the Republican Party. A lot of them are remaining uh, very quiet. I, I spoke to one today and couldn't couldn't get a, a, a firm uh, a, a statement from them. Um, they don't want to uh, get involved in this election. They don't want to be seen as supporting an anti-Semite or a bigot. On the other hand, they don't want to see the Democrat win the election. Um, look, people like me have been in that position for a long time. I generally want to see Democrats win elections and control the House and the Senate and the presidency, but I'm not going to vote for a Democrat who is a bigot of any kind, uh, anti-Black, anti-gay, uh, anti-woman, uh, anti-Semite. I'm just not going to do it. And I think we all ought to put principle over partisanship, but that doesn't necessarily become the case in our highly partisan uh, world. Um, 
you know, the, it raises the broader question. We deserve better candidates on all sides. Now, I think the guy who's running on the Democratic side is a very good candidate, the former, maybe I think current attorney general of Pennsylvania. He seems like a really decent guy. But, but look at the um, Senate race where you have a guy like uh, Fetterman uh, running against uh, Dr. Oz. Um, they each have such serious problems. I, I think this is a real campaign pledge. I'm not a, a, a campaign uh, statement. I think it is. It, when I first read it, I thought it was from The Onion. I thought it was a joke. But then I read further, and it seems to be real. <laughs> you won't believe this, but but Federer put out put out a, a campaign uh, issue saying you can't vote for Dr. Oz because he once killed a litter of puppies. He's a puppy killer. You can't vote for a puppy killer. Only when you read further down in the article, you see that Dr. Oz, as you know, is a very distinguished heart surgeon, also a distinguished researcher in heart surgery. And in the process of doing research on heart surgery, he obviously had to kill mice and pigs and dogs. Uh, that's part of the research. But he's a puppy killer. He killed a litter of puppies. You can't vote for him. Um, is that where we've gone in the campaign? And and look at Dr. Oz. I like Dr. Oz. I know him. I've met him. His daughter was in my class. Seems like a really decent guy. But he won't condemn the Armenian genocide, as you know, um, between 600,000 and a million, 200,000 Armenian civilians, women, children, babies, uh, were murdered by, uh, by the Ottoman Empire um, in the second uh, decade of the 20th uh, century and every decent person in the world knows it was uh, it was a massacre. It was uh, genocide. Hitler uh, famously said, uh, "Who knows now about the Armenian genocide when he was trying to justify killing the Jews?" But Dr. Oz, at least up to now, as far as far as I know, has refused to condemn it because his buddy, apparently his buddy, uh, President Erdogan uh, of of Turkey. Um, uh, has some influence uh, on him. Um, I think he may still have family there, and you know, Erdogan's a, a thug and uh, a tyrant. And uh, you know, do we really want somebody in the United States Senate who uh, listens to Erdogan rather than listens to the call of principle and and morality? Uh, the point I'm making is we should have better choices. You know. Throughout our history, we've had really good people running. Not everybody has been good. Not every president is good. Warren Harding was a crook and um, not a particularly effective uh, president. And you could probably name six or seven others like that. But we haven't had people like the people who are now running. And part of the reason is decent people won't run for office uh, because of social media, uh, because, you know, of the trolls. Um, Decent people won't defend controversial defendants. They point to me. Look what's happened to me. Uh, I don't want to be Dershowitz. I don't want every single uh, 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 tweet of me to, um, you know, be personally insulting and attacking my integrity. Um, I have thick skin, but you know, they're attacking my family as well, my wife, my children, etc. Multiply that uh, several times when you're thinking about getting into politics and you now understand why really, really good people, with exceptions, I think Shapiro is a really, really good person running. And certainly there are some very, very good people running in other parts of the 
of the country. But, you know, the debate shouldn't be about killing puppies. It shouldn't be about whether or not somebody's girlfriend had an abortion, like in the Herschel Walker. It shouldn't be about things like that. You may remember back in the day when John Kennedy was president of the United States, the media all knew about his sex life and they didn't report on it. Likewise with Robert Kennedy, they didn't report on it. Uh, that's changed now, particularly with social media and with social media, everything is exaggerated and everything is magnified. And that I think explains why today, you know, the choices between mediocre and unacceptable when you run for president, I wrote a book a few years ago called, electile dysfunction uh, that was about the, the Trump-Hillary uh, Clinton campaign when a very large percentage of Americans said they weren't voting for either candidate, they were voting against the other candidate because they either didn't like Hillary Clinton or didn't like Donald Trump. We should get better choices than that. We should get a choice between excellent and superb. And that's, you know, when, when Lincoln ran, those were the choices. When uh, Jefferson ran, uh, Jefferson versus Adams, that was a really interesting uh, choice. Uh, Andrew Jackson versus John Quincy Adams, those were great choices. Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, uh, running against Wendell Wilkie, uh, Al Smith, you know, running, running against, uh, you know, uh, who, Herbert Hoover, I guess it was. Um, these were great choices, um, but not today. Today, with, with exceptions, there are a lot of exceptions, we're seeing mediocrity versus uh, unacceptability. So, you know, don't stay home. Vote, vote based on who you find less intolerable in, in some races, and hopefully in some races you could vote for really, really good candidates. But again, write me. I want to know whether you as Republicans can hold your nose and vote for Mastriano. I could not do that if I were a Republican any more than I could ever vote for um, a Bernie Sanders as uh, a Democrat. They have crossed lines and those lines in the United States of America should not be crossed by presidential um, uh, and, and gubernatorial and senatorial uh, candidates. And so um, tell us whether you're principled or whether you're a partisan. I, I, I await your letters. Okay. Let's, speaking of letters, let's get to some. I support full and complete and total meritocracy, Dershowitz, but you've been an enthusiastic supporter of affirmative action for decades, even though it is not compatible with total meritocracy. Please explain. Well, explain. You're dead wrong. Um, I wrote a long law review article back in the 1970s condemning race-specific affirmative action. What I favor always is a broad definition of meritocracy. And meritocracy includes looking at where a person came from. But it should not be based on race. If you get somebody from the Ozarks who was the first person in his family to graduate high school and makes it by by dint of really, really, really hard work, yeah, I, I might give that person meritocratic advantage over someone who has slightly higher grades, who went to Bronx High School of Science or Exeter or, or Groton, and um, uh, father is a hedge fund person, his mother is a judge. I don't care whether they're black or white. Um, I want to judge them on meritocracy, but I define meritocracy 
very broadly. And so I've always been against race-specific affirmative action. From the day I started teaching at Harvard Law School in 1964, I was often the only person on the faculty to vote against race-specific affirmative action. So I'm not inconsistent. I've always favored uh, meritocracy, but I define meritocracy uh, broadly. I'm also always been against uh, legacy admissions on lower standards. I've always been against athletic admissions on on lower standards. Wouldn't it be better if uh, when Harvard played Yale, um, all the students uh, who were on each team uh, had A minus or A averages or A plus averages. We've had a few like that. Uh, there have been a few great athletes who are also great scholars. But, you know, it's hard for me to root for a college team when I know that the college has recruited people from all over the country just for their athletic skills and not for their uh, academic accomplishments. So, you know, I've been consistent throughout history. Um, you know, people think I'm wrong. People think I'm right. But the one thing I've been is consistent. I am boringly consistent. I barely, barely depart from my uh, principles. I do think that race-specific affirmative action has been somewhat successful. Um, it has turned out some very, very, very able and extraordinary people who otherwise wouldn't have had the benefit of an elite uh, education. And the question for me is always, is it worth the cost? Is it worth the cost in... in um, compromising uh, race neutrality. I wrote a book called The Case for Colorblind Equality in an Age of Identity Politics. I stick with that. That's been my view forever, and it will probably be my view forever. Okay, next. Okay, this one's about Martha's Vineyard. Um, I said yesterday that uh, the people in Martha's Vineyard tried very hard to accept the um, refugees uh, that came, but this letter says, what do you mean you tried to help these people sent to Martha's Vineyard? All I've seen was a bunch of wimp lefties trying to get them out as fast as possible. It was said you didn't have the resources, yet with the money you, you people have, you people could have helped them easily. Bunch of rich leftist assholes is all you people are. So let me tell you the facts. As soon as this happened, I mean, literally within 10 seconds, I called up my Chabad rabbi on Martha's Vineyard. I'm proud of the fact that I've helped establish a Chabad on Martha's Vineyard. And I said, I will personally pay to feed every single one of those refugees and to give them all the medical care uh, they need. I will also raise money to make sure they're all housed in the empty houses that abound on the vineyard during the fall and winter year. And what happened is some bureaucrats, I think it was uh, bureaucrats in Boston, decided to move these folks from Martha's Vineyard, which doesn't have the kind of facilities that uh, other parts of Massachusetts do, and move them to Fort Devon, where they would have more comfortable ability to, to live. And they did it with the consent, apparently, of of the refugees. So look, I have plenty to complain about on Martha's Vineyard. You're absolutely right that many of the people in Shilmar are elite, unprincipled, uh, idiotic uh, leftists who don't understand the constitution and those who understand it don't, don't care about the constitution. All they care about is get Trump, get Trump, no matter what, the constitution be damned, get Trump. Uh, that's many of the elitists in Shilmar and don't get me started on that. But when it came to the refugees, at least there were a lot of people, and I among them, and my rabbi among them, 
who reached out a hand, as I said to the rabbi in my email, the Bible says, be good to strangers because we, the Jewish people, were strangers in the land of Egypt. And I quoted that and told the rabbi to please make sure that uh, we extend the hand. And he did. The rabbi immediately uh, ran to Edgartown, which is basically the capital of Martha's Vineyard, and offered the support, mentioned my offer and other people's offers. And, you know, before we had a chance to act on it, the refugees were removed to Fort Devon. I wish they had been kept on the vineyard. I would have liked to welcome them uh, to my home over the summer. Um, you can't generalize uh, about a place like uh, Martha's Vineyard. Chilmark is very different than Edgartown. Edgartown is very different from Oak Bluff. So uh, uh, do not stereotype and do not generalize, but condemn those who may very well have... Um, uh, not lived up to their own principles when it comes to welcoming strangers. Uh, meritocracy is the only way, especially in life-saving or life-risking situations like medicine, airplane pilots, air traffic controllers, firemen, etc. But beyond life-death accusations, meritocracy should be the standard in everything, including kindergarten. Now, I'm not sure whether you can really judge meritocratically in kindergarten. I'll never forget when my son Elon, who is the producer of this show, um, and my other son and I uh, were on uh, the, the famous French boat, the Ile de France. Uh, I, I was on some academic thing and um, I had flown there. But on the way back, we decided to take this great ocean liner, which was making one of its last uh, voyages. And uh, my son, Elon, must have been, I don't know, five or six years old, kindergarten age, maybe even a little younger. And they had a contest. Uh, who could draw the best Eiffel Tower? And <laughs> there was no contest. My son, who was very talented, drew the very best Eiffel Tower. In fact, I hung it on my office for years. He was such a good Eiffel Tower. But he lost to a French guy. Um, uh, because not meritocracy, but on a French boat, the French guy is going to win. So, yeah, I guess meritocracy, even in kindergarten, although that does sound a little extreme. Next question. You're anti-Trump. You don't understand me. Um, um, I took great risks uh, to my reputation and to my welfare by defending um, President Donald Trump from what I believe was an unconstitutional impeachment. I did it on the grounds of principle. It doesn't mean I support him. Um, I, I didn't vote for him uh, twice. I voted for Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden, and I suspect I will not vote for him if he gets the nomination the third time. But that doesn't make me anti-Trump. It makes me a, a thoughtful person who makes decisions based on, on principle. When it came to his impeachment, I was pro-Trump. When it came to his election, I was not pro-Trump. But I think it oversimplifies me and it oversimplifies the world when you accuse me of being anti-Trump. I'm pro-constitution, pro-principles. Um, I was pre-med and struggled with organic chem, so I went to law school. Okay. Uh, equity is the bane of a mer meritocratic-based uh, society. I want the best qualified, et cetera, et cetera. I think I've gotten most of the letters I've gotten uh, support that. Um, um, okay, this is an interesting question. Um, Hey, Professor Dersh, you mentioned that you hope the Supreme Court justices also comment on other types of equality, not just racial, heritage, uh, legacy, geographic, um, athletic. 
Is this not the exact opposite thing you were railing against with the abortion case when they reviewed the whole abortion ban and not just specifically the 15-week ban? How do you see these situations differently? I imagine to remain consistent, you would require that they didn't expand the scope and restrict their opinions to racial equality. It's a very, very interesting point. And, and you, have, you have something of a point, but not exactly. Um, I'm not asking them to rule on anything not before them the way the Supreme Court did in Roe versus Wade, in, 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 in the uh, case overruling Roe versus Wade. That issue was simply not presented to them in the certiorari petition, and they reached out to decide an issue not presented. What I'm saying, in these cases, uh, they might very well say, as part of ruling on race-specific affirmative action, they might say, look, there are other forms of uh, affirmative action that are not meritocratic, and uh, we think those issues uh, should be considered by universities as well. They wouldn't rule on them, but they would express a view on them and indicate that it would be probably unfair just to uh, eliminate race-specific affirmative action while you keep what I call negative reaction, that is, continue to give advantages to the most privileged people whose grandparents and great-grandparents went to uh, Harvard and Yale and Princeton. I think there's a big difference between using issues that are not directly presented to them as part of an argument, and by the way, that argument is made, the argument about legacies and athletes, et cetera, geography, are made in the briefs in front of the court. Big difference between just using them as part of an argument and deciding a whole issue that was not before them, as was decided in the Dobbs case. The issue simply was not whether or not you can ban abortion at uh, three weeks or four weeks or five weeks. The court reached out to decide an issue not before them rather than merely using an argument based on facts that are presented uh, in the brief. In the Harvard and North Carolina cases, part of the argument has been that there are other forms of affirmative action and the court has to least consider them when considering race-specific affirmative action. So again, challenge from me to Republicans, particularly Republicans who are following the Pennsylvania case. Tell me whether you're prepared to put principle over partisanship and prepared to come out against Mastriano based on his bigotry and his anti-Semitism. And if not, tell me, tell me why not. It's a challenge. I hope you'll accept it. See you tomorrow.